also have personal experience with the value of higher education. I believe firmly it is that education that I attained that helped me to lift myself and my family out of the situation that we were in. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Happy Friday, Patricia. Happy Friday to you, Max. How are you? Good. How about you? I'm doing fine. Great to be here with you. You got any big weekend plans? No, I do not have any great weekend plans. I was in Toronto, Canada last weekend watching my friend Mike Shorman make history by being the first disabled person paddleboarder to cross all five Great Lakes. So I had an exciting weekend last weekend. I encourage you to look up Mike Shorman, S-H-O-R. E-M-A-N, if you don't know about him, and support his cause, which is to help youth mental health in Canada. But with that excitement behind me, I'm ready to relax this weekend. And uh, back to business with your business, right? Absolutely. And this recording is actually good timing because a couple of days ago, Joe Biden talked about the student forgiveness debt, and you are an expert in student repayment of student debt. So Before we get into that part of the equation, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your own student debt journey? Because that was one of the critical points in your life that made you want to help others repay their debt as well, right? Absolutely. Help others repay and even more importantly, avoid the student loan debt in the first place. And yes, I'm happy to tell you a little bit about my personal journey. So by way of background, I grew up in a very low income family headed by a mom, a solo head of household, and we had very little income available to help prepare for long-term goals like higher education. And in fact, I almost missed the opportunity to go to college because of cost. My guidance counselor actually suggested I not go to college, that instead I stick with the waitressing job that I had since the age of 14 because of the fragile state of my family. But my mom insisted otherwise, and I found a way to make it work, to go to college, to work multiple jobs, still send money home to help my family, but also get on a path of advancing myself. So even with working multiple jobs as an undergraduate, and even with working full time while going to law school at night, I still managed to accumulate a good amount of debt. In fact, I borrowed over $50,000 in student loan debt. And it took me about 20 years to repay that $50,000. And I think I repaid over 70,000. And at the time my son arrived, his dad and I together had over $100,000 in student loan debt. And Max, we decided we wanted better for our child. And no matter what, we were going to save a little bit at a time so that he could avoid the financial stress that we were experiencing. And as you may or may not know, after 18 years of saving and continual saving, even while he was in college, he did graduate debt-free. 
this past June, and we're really proud of that, coming from the backgrounds that we both came from. So that's a little bit about my story. I have personal experience with the stress of repaying that debt. I also have personal experience with the value of higher education. I believe firmly it is that education that I attained that helped me to lift myself and my family out of the situation that we were in. So I have high regard for the value of higher education. And I also have a real strong understanding of the high cost and the stress that can come along with it. So that's a little bit about my story. And thank you for asking. So how many degrees have you completed in your career? (laughs) I have two degrees. So I have an undergraduate degree in both philosophy and political science. And then I have a Juris Doctorate degree or JD, which is a law degree here in the U.S. So So I guess that's two degrees. Yes. So usually when you get your JD, you you become a lawyer, right? But you're now doing financial management for university students to help pay off their debt, right? So how did you make that transition? I know you have your own personal story with debt, but what made you decide to help others with it? Sure. So when I was an attorney, I'd mentioned to you that I worked full time and went to law school at night. I was working for a financial services firm and I stayed on at the parent company of that firm and practiced law upon attaining my degree. And while working at that job, it was Citigroup. As an attorney, I was asked to focus on Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code because City, City Group, wanted to get into the business of helping families prepare for the high cost of higher education. And in the U.S., it's through Section 529 of the Internal Revenue Code where American families can save on a tax-free basis. So I developed this expertise in helping families avoid debt as an attorney at City. And I was pregnant with my son at the time. So the timing was right. What an assignment to get as a mom to be who was drowning in student loan debt to get an assignment to learn about a product that we could develop based on these fairly recent changes at the time to the Internal Revenue Code. It was just a great assignment for me. And I did work with these plans from a legal perspective for a number of years. And then I switched to the business side of offering these plans and educating individuals and financial advisors about them. So I went from the legal side to the business side with these plans, helping people to avoid the debt in the first place. And from your experience, what are some lessons you can give to people in terms of not having that huge amount of debt? Sure. There are a number of tips I can give individuals. One of my First is to really, as parents, to visualize the future that you want for your child or children when it comes to pursuing post-secondary education. While you may not know when they're first born or when they're little and growing up what they may become, what their interests and talents will be, you certainly have a sense or will have a sense of the type of future you would like them to have. In my case, We really wanted our child to pursue whatever he wanted, but to do it without the weight of debt. So I ask parents to sort of think about what they would want, because I think that vision will help them in taking the next steps, which would be to begin to financially prepare in whatever way they can. I tell families all the time, whatever you can save is that much less 
that you and your children will have to borrow and repay with interest. So don't get caught up on, it seems like such a great amount, you'll never be able to make a dent in it. Just get started and do something. And here in the US, these 529 college savings plans are a great way to consider saving because they allow individuals to save and as the money grows in value for it not to be taxed. So it's not taxed as it grows in value. And in fact, when the money's withdrawn and used for a wide range of higher education expenses, not just a traditional four-year university, but trade and technical school, certain registered apprenticeships and so on, that money is never taxed. So I encourage people to start saving, whether it's in a 529 plan or some other way, and to do it consistently. Another tip I have is to invite friends and family to join you in your savings journey. Nobody really knows what to buy your child or children for their birthdays, for holidays. And to tell family members that you're on a mission to save for this child's future and invite them to join you. I suspect that a large percentage of individuals don't know what to buy, and if encouraged to contribute toward an educational savings account, they probably would do it. And perhaps if they really wanted to buy a tangible gift for the child to open, they'd buy something significantly smaller. So I say start with your vision, start saving somehow as soon as you can, invite others to join you. Invite your employer to join you. There are a growing number of employers that recognize the financial stress that individuals are under. We'll talk a little bit about how some are helping their employees repay student loan debt. Others are helping employees avoid that debt by helping them to save their matching contributions into college accounts. So I say invite your employer And then the last thing, which is really important as college or university, those years start approaching, talk to your child about the resources that you've set aside. Let them know what you have. And as you look at colleges and universities and other forms of post-secondary education, keep those funds in mind because it does matter. Schools vary greatly in terms of net cost depending on what they'll ultimately offer your student in terms of financial aid and grants. And you do want to make a sensible decision about which school to attend. Far too many families, far too many students get their hearts set on just one dream school. And if they get in, that's a huge accomplishment. And it's something they've been thinking of for years. But if the dream school is something that is utterly unaffordable, It's not going to be a dream in the long run. It can become a nightmare when you've got to repay an unmanageable amount of student loan debt for 10 or 20 years or even longer down the line. So I say make a sensible decision about the type of school to attend. Keep an open mind. There are so many options. And my last tip is, by all means, if you can, finish on time. Many students are taking five and six years to complete a four-year degree, and there are probably some valid reasons for that. But if you possibly can get on track and stay on track and finish on time, it'll be less costly in the long run because every additional semester is going to cost you money. So that's a lot of tips. I hope some of them will help your audience. Speaking of the dream school, a lot of high school students are mesmerized by the big brand names of the universities, right? And there's cheaper options, like I believe they're called community colleges. 
So in terms of the quality of the education and job prospects, is it worth it to overspend on a big name school compared to going to a local community college? Or it doesn't matter because the education is the same to a degree. It's more about like building your skill set for your first job out of school. I'm not sure there's an easy answer on this, but I do think it's probably a very personal decision about what particular type of school to attend. I think that there are a lot of rankings. There's a lot of research that individuals can do to see the quality of the institution, what percentage of students complete on time, what percentage of students land a job in their field of study. There's a lot of information you can gather by looking at different schools. You know, the big name schools have a lot of attraction, but I really think I'm sure they're very high quality and people do great things having attended them and the connections they make there, but they're not the only answer. And in fact, there are some schools with lesser names, maybe less well-known, that would be more than willing to give you or your student a considerable amount of aid to attend. And I think a lot has to do with what do you do when you're there? What are you participating in while in school? What connections are you making with professors? What types of internships are you getting maybe during the school year or over the summer? I don't think it's necessarily linked to the name of the school, one success. And in fact, I think there's a lot of research that shows a lot of really successful people have gone to schools of names that most would maybe not even recognize. So I think keeping an open mind, doing your research, some may depend on what you're studying. I mean, if there's a school that's exceptional in a particular area that you know for sure you're going to study, you know, maybe more weight will be given to that type of school. But another option is to start at a lesser cost institution, determine if credits acquired in basic courses that you'd need to take anywhere could be easily transferred. And then go to the bigger name school that you really want to get that degree in the end, but maybe at a fraction of the cost. So that's another idea. That's actually a good suggestion where you take the required stuff at a cheaper school and then you can go to the school you want and it'll cost you less because you don't have to spend all four years there. That's right. Yeah. Provided the school's going to accept those credits and that they're open to transfers, which many schools are, I think that's something to look into. But again, Folks need to really do their research and find the right path for themselves. You mentioned that you had to pay $70,000 in student debt, repay it back in 20 years, right? Yeah, it was about 20 years. Now, I had a gap between my undergraduate years and pursuing that graduate degree. I worked full-time for six years after receiving my BA and before entering law school at night. But overall, from the time I graduated undergrad to the time I paid everything off, yes, it was about 20 years. And I think my loans back then, I'm going to date myself, were at like 7%. So with that interest, it really added up. I looked recently to see what I had repaid and I was sort of surprised because I always talk about repaying 50000 but it was 50000 that I borrowed. The repayment's a whole other story. The interest really kills you, right? <laughs> Pretty much so. I've got to tell you, receiving my payoff letter for my student loan was almost as exciting as receiving my law degree, quite honestly. I mean, I felt like I ought to frame that as well. 
like what a huge accomplishment to have financed that and finally paid it off. I don't know if there'll be a trend with people framing uh, their loan payoff letters, but I certainly felt like that when I received it. I felt this is something really significant here. It took a lot of work. So in terms of lessons learned, what would you do differently in paying off that debt? Or would you do anything differently at all? I don't know that I would do anything differently. I have no regrets about pursuing higher education. I could have gone to a state school where I grew up in Pennsylvania. They had offered me attendance or the private school that I attended, but it turned out the private school, while more expensive, offered more aid. So my net cost was pretty much the same. And it wouldn't have made a difference if I went to the state school versus the private school. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. I liked living in a city. I was able to live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which was really interesting to me. As someone who grew up in a rural setting, being in a city was interesting. So no regrets about choice of school, no regrets about course of study. I know some would look at philosophy and political science and think, what were you thinking? But I learned a tremendous amount through those disciplines. And they help me tremendously to this day. And I'm so glad I went to law school too. And doing it at night was really hard for four years, but I don't have any regrets. I guess the only thing I might have done differently was try to save a little bit more when I was a high school student of the earnings I was getting. I mean, I wasn't frivolously spending, but I did buy a car because I needed a car to get from point A to point B, particularly at a rural setting. And I probably bought one that was too expensive. I didn't know. I just didn't have really the proper perspective. Maybe I would have spent a little less on that and I would have had a little bit more tucked away, but really no regrets. I really don't have any regrets. I know it was hard to pay that money back, but I'm glad that I got my degree. But I would like to help other people avoid the stress that I experienced. What were some tools or resources that you wish you knew about when paying off that debt that you want to pass down to people listening to this episode? Hmm. I never possibly even considered asking my employer to help me pay down the debt. It just didn't cross my mind. And I don't know if back then they would have, but I needed a law degree to have a legal job. And I happened to have worked at that company for many years as a loyal employee. Perhaps somebody would have offered to assist with that repayment or offer something towards it. I never really thought about that. I don't know what else I could have done differently. I really was very careful with my expenditures and try to put as much as I can towards the student loan payments. Once I got pregnant with my son. I was also, once he arrived, determined to save for him too. So it was really a balancing act. I mean, I guess I could have saved less for retirement and put more towards the student loans or thought, heck, you know, my son's just going to have to wait. I've got to get these paid back. But I was really trying to juggle multiple priorities. They all felt like priorities. And I think I did the best I could. I don't know that I would have done anything differently, to be honest with you. Speaking of having your employer help you pay off your student debt, what are some, well, let's dive into that first. And then we can discuss more about other creative ways that you can pay off student debt that professionals might not know about. Okay, great. Yeah. So in terms of employers helping employees pay down student loan debt, 
Here in the US, and I don't know what it is in Canada, but it could be about the same, about 8% of employers are offering some form of student loan repayment assistance. And something has happened recently in the US. At the end of 2020, during the pandemic, some changes were made to existing portions of the Internal Revenue Code that now allow employers to repay student loan debt on a tax-free basis to the employee and as a business tax deduction to the employer. So there's now an incentive here in the U.S. It's under Internal Revenue Code Section 127. Employers are now allowed to repay $5,250 a year per employee in student loan debt. And to do it in a tax-free way, it is not taxable income to the employee. So there's no income tax owed on that money. There's no payroll tax owed on that money by the employer. And the employer can take a tax deduction, a business tax deduction. And this is in place currently through 1-1-2026. So through January 1, 2026, employers in the U.S. can do this. Many of them don't know about it. So what I'm suggesting to those who are your listeners and others who stumble upon this podcast is to talk to your employer, ask them if they know that they can, here in the U.S., repay some of your student loan debt on a tax-free basis under Internal Revenue Code 127. Other employers for years have been helping with student loan debt repayment. It wasn't tax-free until 2020 when this provision came to be. But I say, ask the question. You can mention this new development. You can certainly ask the question. I think employers these days are sensitive to the fact that employees are under stress of all kinds. Not that employers themselves aren't under stress too, but they understand that employees are under stress and they understand that some of that stress is financial. So bringing this topic to their attention, particularly in a helpful way, right? You might be acquainting them with something they didn't even know they could do, I think is a good idea and letting them know that it's something that would be important to you as a benefit. I think it's definitely worth having the conversation and seeing if you might be able to get some support there. So there's four years left on that provision here in the U.S. There's 2022, 23, 24, and 25. That would be like $21,000 you could get repaid during these next four years, that $52,50 a year. Why not ask the question? That's great. And speaking, since we're talking more about like government regulations, let's go back to the hot topic right now from the past couple of days about the student forgiveness. Can you walk us through all the details in terms of what that entails and who qualifies? Sure. And I want to encourage your listeners to check out the White House here in the U.S. has put on their website and I have studentaid.gov slash debt relief announcement. I'll send you those links because I want people to look carefully at the words themselves. While some of the announcement was perfectly clear, there's probably some things that will need to be examined quite carefully. But the essence of it is, first of all, we had a payment pause here in the U.S. Student loans were on pause. No one needed to repay their federal student loans during this period of pause. It started during the pandemic and it got extended a few times and it was due to wind down on August 
31st. That's been extended to December 31st. So federal student loan payments, you need to know what type of student loan you have. Is it private? Is it federal? But if it was under the federal government and you can check online what type of loan you have, payments will not begin to be due again, principal and interest, until December 31st. So you've got a couple more months of not having to pay your student loans. What you could do during that time if you had the money, some people are using this pause as an opportunity to build up some emergency savings. That sounds like a great idea. Or to pay down some debt that they have, different than the student loan debt. But if you've got some available resources, you could pay down now, even though payments aren't due, and you could really chip away at that principal. You'd want to let your student loan company know that you intend to apply this to the principal. You could use some money now and get that sort of paid down a little bit. Otherwise, you can wait until it's next due and make sure you've got all your ducks in a row and start repaying again. So that was one part of it was this further extension of the payment pause, but that's really going to come to an end, they say now on December 31st, there's not going to be additional extensions. So get ready to start repaying unless you qualify for what President Biden talked about, which was $10,000 in federal loan forgiveness by the U.S. government for those who earn under $125,000 or less. Now, you're going to want to check on that to see, is that adjusted gross income? You know, are there any other requirements around that? But it looks like $10,000 for some, if they earn under that amount as an individual or $250,000, so double the amount as a household, could be forgiven. And then double that amount, so $10,000 for some, 20,000 for federal student loan borrowers who, when studying, were Pell Grant recipients. Pell Grant recipients are lower income students here in the U.S. I was one of those. So if you qualified as a Pell Grant recipient while pursuing your education, it seems that $20,000 could be forgiven, which is something good. Again, subject to those income requirements. So check it out carefully. The other thing that was announced, and I think everyone needs to look at this a little more closely, but going forward, it sounds like a proposal to cap the amount you need to pay each month at 5%, I'm looking at my notes, of a person's discretionary income versus 10%. Again, that looks like that is for people they're calling it low and moderate income borrowers. We want to see exactly who that is and what that means. But there was also talk about not only capping the amount you'd need to repay at this portion of your discretionary income, but over 10 years, if you've consistently made payments, potentially getting anything that remains forgiven. So I encourage your listeners to take a really careful look on the White House website or the StudentGov website, which I'll give you the links to, studentaid.gov, and look at these provisions. Some of them still may need to be ironed out, all of the details, but certainly many are celebrating the fact that it looks like there will be relief for some. So there's the employers helping their employees out with paying off their student debt. There's this student forgiveness that uh, President Joe Biden has implemented. When does it start? When does it start? I think they said after September 1, 
individuals can start applying online or filling out a form to see if they qualify. I saw some information that said for some borrowers, if they know for certain they have federal student loans and they know for certain what their income was, there might be some sort of automatic forgiveness. But I think a large portion will need to fill out something. And I believe it's in September when that begins. I think there were some problems with the websites. Of course, people rushing to them to find out. This bit with the 5% discretionary income cap, that seemed like it was a little further down the line, but not too far. I'm not sure that I saw an actual date on which that would come to be, but I'll do some more checking and I can always let you know after this conversation. Sounds good. So yeah, so there's the two options to help you pay off student debt. What are other ways that professionals don't think about when it comes to paying off their student debt? One way that I think of, and certainly didn't think of when I had the debt, but I now think of, and largely because of the role I play at a company called Gift of College, is to crowdfund by asking others in your life to consider contributing towards your student loan debt. And what I mean by that is to let friends and family know who would ordinarily buy you something for every birthday or most holidays that you really don't need another fill in the blank. I don't know, scented candle, t-shirt, whatever it is that people buy each other because they really don't know what to buy each other. And to ask them, would they instead be open to making a contribution toward your student loan? I mean, even if a bunch of people gave $25 towards your loan, a couple of times a year, that could really help. You could apply that toward the principal or towards a future payment that could really help. The company that I work for, Gift of College, happens to have gift cards. These are available online at giftofcollege.com and they're available at retailers across the United States, including many CVS pharmacies and at walmart.com, et cetera. And these gift cards are available in denominations of $25 to $200. And individuals can buy them and give them to somebody who's either saving for college or trying to pay down student loan debt. And what the recipient of this gift card, whether it's $25 or $100, whatever the case may be, does is go to giftofcollege.com. They set up a free profile. They link their student loan account or their college savings account or both. Some people are paying down debt and trying to save for a loved one. And they can redeem the gift card through our site. The money then goes to the student loan provider or it goes to the college savings program. So this is kind of cool for people who know they've got a loved one who's got some debt or is trying to save for college, they could buy a gift card. They don't need to ask them any questions or ruin the surprise by saying, can I help you with your student loan? Or can you give me the address to mail a check or whatever the case may be? Just give the gift. Like I give this gift all the time. I give it for baby showers. I give it for birthdays, for little kids, for big kids, if I know they have student loans. And then people can themselves then just apply the money. So you could either ask people through a crowdfunding platform, Gift of College, that same little profile that you set up to redeem a gift card is the same profile that you could send out to friends and family. It's just a simple link, letting them know, do you really don't need anything else this year? You know, you know your friends and family best, and you know the people who are likely to be buying something for you. If you can have an honest conversation, you don't think it would offend them. I can't imagine anybody being terribly offended by helping you with something that's stressing you out. I think it's a great idea. And I think everybody then feels like it's certainly not a gift with buyer's remorse. 
it's nobody's wondering, is that going to fit? Does he already have that? Will the parents approve of that toy or game? You know, it's just something that's really practical. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of it. And I think that people can benefit from it. So I encourage open and honest conversations about whatever you're dealing with, whether you're trying to save for an advanced degree or for your child, or you're trying to pay down debt, let others know. People who care about you probably would welcome, nobody wants to be shopping around trying to figure out what size shirt Max wears, or whether he's going to like that particular color, or his child's going to like this or that. So those are really my tips is to get the employer engaged by knowing the stress that you're under. You don't have to go into great detail, but just to say, I'm trying to pay back some student loans and to invite friends and family. And I think with this great resignation or great reconsideration, whatever they're calling it these days with people kind of shifting around, I bet employers are open to keeping loyal employees employed and to attracting good quality other employees by offering things like this. So I think it's worth the conversation. At minimum, you've opened a dialogue, right? Can't hurt to ask. For sure. And the last part of my discussion with you is on the value of higher education. So there's been a lot of discussion in terms of whether it's still worth the ROI. And for example, during the pandemic, people couldn't go to school, right? They had to do everything online. So they're spending all thousands of dollars for online education when there's other free or affordable options to learn. So my question to you is with a lot of alternative cheaper options in education, whether it's boot camps or free online learning subscriptions, what's your thoughts on the future of higher education in terms of the value and the ROI that people would get if they still want to take that path? Well, let's see here. I think any form of post-secondary education is valuable. And I think it's a really personal decision about what form in particular to pursue. I think when people don't really know what they want to do, and if they don't have resources saved, instead of necessarily pursuing a really high-priced institution where you're not even sure if a particular course of study is going to be the one you want, the idea of starting out with something like a community college or some other form of education might be a good idea just to get sort of your feet wet and to explore what actually might excite you and interest you. So I think there's nothing wrong with starting with something smaller and exploring what you might be interested in. I think the trade schools are great. I just needed a plumber recently here in my apartment. And it was not cheap. And I talked to that individual about his course of study and how rewarding it's been for him and his family. And he was somebody who really liked something that was hands-on like this. I think there's plenty of trades and plenty of forms of education that can be really rewarding. They don't necessarily have to be what people perceive as traditional college or university. And I think there's a huge role for traditional college and university. I think those years are really important. People grow and develop in a variety of ways. If they can afford to be there or if they pick a sensible institution, I think that's still and will always be very valuable, but I don't think it's the only way. And I think there's going to be an enhanced emphasis on certificate learning. And, you know, it's these types of courses that you talk about. I mean, I've done a number of mastermind courses and things online and have learned a tremendous amount. I don't have a degree to show for it, but I certainly have the knowledge. And I think 
if individuals can get certificates or demonstrate to employers and to others that they have really dedicated their time to learning something that may be valuable to the employer, I think that's really great too. The thing that concerns me most with student loan debt, it's all quite concerning, but what's most concerning, the population it's most concerning for are the individuals who attended college or university or some form of post-secondary education, racked up a ton of debt, and then didn't finish the course of study. So those people are probably in the worst position of all, I would suspect, because they don't have a degree or some sort of evidence to show for what they put their money into. And that really concerns me a lot, because at least if you have the degree, I know it may be frustrating to be repaying the student loan debt, but you've got something to sort of show for your efforts. I think it's a little bit harder when you don't, and it's probably frustrating. So I hope that individuals who have not completed their degrees, I know many are struggling to pay back the loans associated, perhaps here in the US, they've got some relief right now. But if there's an opportunity to go and finish the degree over time, maybe part time, I think that's a great idea. And the other thing I failed to mention, which I think is important, is that some employers offer tuition reimbursement. So that's another idea for somebody who's not sure of the path they want to go on, or somebody who already has one degree and wants to pursue something in addition, is to let the employer pay for it. Take a couple of courses every semester, or even one course every semester while you're working, you've got the income coming in, let the employer pay for part of your education as you go. So you're not racking up student loan debt. And I think that's another great alternative. And there are some employers here in the US that are paying in full for degrees for workers of all types, you know, not just professional workers, they can be workers of all types, even part time employees, uh, some employers are paying their tuition. So I'd consider that as well, if I wasn't necessarily sure, or even if I was sure if somebody else can help pay for it, great idea. Yeah, I heard there's some employers that if there's a superstar uh, talent in the company, they'll pay for the next degree, such as an MBA. I think their only requirement is that they have to stay at the company for a certain period of time. And if they leave before, they have to pay back a certain amount. Again, you can dive more into that. But is that actually accurate? I think employers do it different ways. I know under the Internal Revenue Code here in the US, under that same section 127 that now allows for student loan repayment, employers can offer tuition reimbursement, but they have to offer it across the board. It can't be discriminatory in any way to only a certain, perhaps higher compensated group of employees. They've got to make everybody aware of it and it has to be available to everyone. There may be other ways of doing it too, but I know that's pretty equitable in that the similarly situated employees can have the same benefit. It's not just for some. The employer can decide you have to have been there three years in order to get it, or they can make a rule that's objective, but they can't give it to some and not others in a way that's more subjective. That's under that one provision of the Internal Revenue Code. There may be other ways of doing it too. I do hear of employers paying for MBAs and things like that. And perhaps that's outside of the Section 127 that I'm talking about. Great. I asked this question to all my guests at the end of our conversation. So as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges. So throughout your journey, what has been one big career challenge that you had to overcome? 
in order to be the person who you are and get to where you are today? Hmm, career challenge. Let me think about this. I think a career challenge that I needed to overcome and did overcome was keeping my head down and working really hard and assuming someone was noticing. So I'm an introvert by nature and sort of just stick to myself, you know, certainly plow through whatever I need to be working on, do it in a high quality way. But I often found myself really not advocating for myself or talking so much about the things that I accomplished. And I think what I learned somewhere along the way that a little self-promotion can go a long way, at least letting somebody know who's in your line of command, your accomplishments, certainly you talk about them like once a year in your annual review or something like that. But along the way, sharing a little bit about perhaps how you were able to successfully address a complicated matter in not a bragging sort of way, but just sort of to let somebody know, you know, your resourcefulness or your resilience, the strategies that you undertake. I probably would have done a little bit more in terms of self-advocacy and sharing a little bit more about my journey versus just working really hard and oftentimes, you know, closing my door and just getting things done versus talking a little bit more and collaborating a little bit more with others. So I think that that was a bit of a challenge for me that I was able to eventually identify and address. Thanks for sharing that. And again, I appreciate you taking the time to come on my podcast to share about how to pay off student debt or how to help contribute for their kids so they don't have to have all that debt once they're getting ready for a college slash university. So how can people connect with you and contact you if they have more questions about what you offer or just get some advice on how to manage their student financial debt? Sure. So the social media platform I'm most active on is LinkedIn. And if they look for Patricia Roberts, Gift of College is my company name, they will find me there. I also have a bit of a presence on Instagram. And I use the name of my book, Route 529, in the name of my Instagram page. So it's Route, R-O-U-T-E 529 Mom, where I talk a lot about educational costs and ways of avoiding debt, etc. And then my book is called Route 529. For those in the US, a parent's guide to saving for college and career training with 529 plans. And that's available on Amazon and at other booksellers. So happy to hear from people. If you happen to be an employer or you want your employer to learn a little bit more about the things we discussed today, I'd be happy to acquaint them. I'm also happy to talk to individuals as well. And I'm very happy that you invited me, Max, onto your podcast. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your financial insights and wish you the best for the rest of the year. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.